I could tell you this, in spite of everything going on around the world, for the moment, all is right with the world. Because Yankee, yesterday, the Yankees had their first spring training game. And I was very happy, although they lost. But that's okay. But all is right with the world for the moment. You know, it's interesting because... Um, The title of today is Mercy and Grace Will Always Win. And, you know, it's a a fact that we need to keep in our mind because there are times that we forget that. And I'll, I'll use the word forget because of the circumstances. And we react to it um, differently. The question is, what is mercy and grace? If I can encapsulate mercy and grace like into one statement, it's not, a, it's not a singular definition, but it's an idea. I would suggest to you that mercy and grace can be found in the statement, uh, getting something that we absolutely do not deserve. All right? Um, there were times growing up when I was a rambunctious young man that, Um, when I was wrong, I knew that the spanking was coming. And there were times that my father um, would take advantage of that biblical truth. And there's times he would take care of the biblical truth of mercy. So I never knew when it was coming, though. So I couldn't take a chance saying, oh, if I only do this, I won't get this. It was up to his heart, his mind, and the way he he did that. Well, mercy and grace are also key components in our Christian life. Because there's a key word that that fits into mercy and grace. Um, Actually, two key words, if I could suggest them. You ready for this? Repent and forgive. See, they all tie in together. When we forget that forgiveness and, and repentance are and we think they're separate from grace and mercy, then they don't work as well together. And Jesus, in his ministry, was faced with a situation that required not just grace and mercy, but it required wisdom and compassion. And he was going to deal with the Pharisees the religious leaders of the time that, in my humble opinion, kind of got their eyes off the ball. They were so engrossed with the word of the Scripture that they forgot about the character of God. That's what we call legalism, and that's a concern. There's a Scripture I want to make available to you. You don't need to turn there. But it's Hebrews 4.16, and it says, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. So if we break that verse down, you ready? I need help. Okay. What do you need for the help? Well, the Bible says you need grace and mercy. Where does that grace and mercy come from? It comes from the throne of grace. 
How do you define the throne of grace? Very easy. All hail King Jesus, the King. As he was, as he was being shown um, what we'll celebrate in a few weeks on that Palm Sunday, it was an earthly depiction of his heavenly job, the King, King Jesus. So the Scripture's telling us that as we draw nearer to Jesus in the Scripture and the writings and, and take that in, we'll find more grace and mercy in the time of need. Once again, the Spirit of God told us today and prepared us, which is still amazing to me, and said, why do you put it aside when you need it? It was cold yesterday, am I correct? Okay. At, most of the teenagers went downstairs, so I have to admit, I don't get it. Maybe some of you can help me. How can it be like 28 degrees, and I go to the store, and a guy or a person walks in in a T-shirt and shorts with no coat? <laughs> I don't get it. It doesn't work in this brain. If it's 32 degrees or under, I'm bundling up because it's cold. Sometimes we walk out into this world, the Spirit reminds us. And we're not wearing what's right. Now, these guys may have survived getting to a store. I can promise you, in 30-degree weather, 28-degree weather, if they would have stayed in shorts and a T-shirt for like eight hours, I would suggest to you they'd be done. They'd be finished, cooked. So today, we're going to see a story about Jesus and how he was confronted. This is a very familiar story. The woman caught in adultery. You've heard this story if we've ever been in the Bible. If you've never heard it, it's a great story that depicts Jesus' wisdom, compassion, grace, and mercy. All the things we need in order to move forward. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter number 8. Gospel of John, chapter 8. And again, if you don't have your Bible, use your phone or use with somebody there. But if you're new to this church, we, we want you in the Bible because my words mean nothing without the Bible. It, it, it's like my advice. I can send you to 17 other people for advice. I want you to see what the Scripture says. Verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning... He came again into the temple, and all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. And then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? They said this, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. So here we have the controversy. It's the controversy. Woman's brought. Now, we read and we can understand that the truth was, was twisted in the name of justice. Now, let's make something abundantly clear. 
Every commentator, every understanding believes that there was an actual woman who committed adultery, okay? This was not someone pulled out of a room and just a false accusation. In fact, some believe that this woman would have been known in the circles, which would lead to the fact that maybe she was a prostitute. But whatever the situation, she established. But also established another thing. Adultery is wrong. Adultery is sin. So let, let's, let's get off the idea. Let's clarify those two things. But here we read that these guys were doing this not just because they were trying to be good soldiers or good people. They were testing Jesus. And not much is known about this woman. It's not known much in the future about her. But she was caught in this situation. It's interesting because the book of James chapter 4, listen to this. It says, therefore, to him to, that knows, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. See, let, let's take, hold on, I'm going to watch. Let's take a minute and let's talk about sin. A lot of places don't like to talk about sin. Now, this is not a I'm right, you're wrong type of discussion. The truest form of sin in its, in its basic word, if I were to ask a random person what is sin, there's, there's a million descriptions of what sin is. You know, it could go from, you know, um, killing somebody to uh, hurting somebody but sin, in its truest form, and if you've heard this before, bear with me for those that haven't. The word sin is actually, when it's mentioned in the New Testament, it's actually a derivative of a Greek word called sine. Anybody ever hear that word? Alex, I know you have somewhere down the line. Sine. And what that word derived from back in those times was this. It's an archery term. It, well, I should say archery turn. It was used a lot in archery. Today we have televisions, right? So you can see everything close up. But when archers would, would shoot back their bows and they had to go to a certain distance, you ready for this? They'd have somebody down at the bottom, which I wouldn't want to be, but there was someone there. And when they didn't hit the bullseye, when they didn't get in the middle, they would yell back to the, to the archer, Sine! means you missed. You missed the bullseye. And the Holy Spirit of God gave that word to the Apostle Paul and to Jesus and to all those who would use this. There's other words, harmatea, and all this that derives into sin, but the Greek understanding of sine is missing the mark. That's what sin is, missing the mark. Now, when you put it in the context of God, ready for this, man? You're talking about missing the mark of what God desires for his people. That's what sin is. So there's three things that I quickly want to point out to you about sin that I think is important. Help me out, Mike. If it'll work. Mike, is it dead? 
right, there you go. First of all, unless you know God, you may sin and not know it. Unless you know God. Now, let's, whoa, 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 take a step back. Let's make sure we understand that statement. Unless you know God, if someone doesn't know about God and missing the mark, what did I say? How did I define sin? Missing the mark of what God desires for his people. If you don't know anything about God, you may not know that some things are wrong. So unless you know God, you may sin and not know it. That's where we get that verse. Him who knows the good and doesn't do it, it's sin. The second thing is unless you know God, you may sin and not care if others know about it. P.T. Barnum once said, there is no such thing as bad publicity. I've heard that regarding Hollywood too. There's no such thing as bad publicity. Any publicity gets you on the map. And that's what you want to do. So there are people out there doing the most outrageous things because they're going to get their name known. I'm going to date myself, but how many remember the Marilyn Manson craze? Anybody remember that? Marilyn Manson. I'm sorry. He even admitted. He admitted, I'm evil. You know what's sad about Marilyn Manson? I don't know if you noticed. He came from a, a godly background. Rejected it, pulled it aside. And his goal was to get as rambunctious and as crazy as possible. And I remember, because I was a youth pastor at the time. Thank God none of my kids did. But I remember seeing the pictures of them dressing up in, in the deep black. and all. It, it was, I'm sorry, you can call it a look. It, it, it was, and by his admission, it was satanic. His admission. I'm not saying if you have black hair, you're evil. Don't go there. It was his premise of what it was. So unless you know God, who cares what I do? Which goes completely against what the scripture says when it says to take care of the weaker brother. Because if they stumble and they see you, the Bible says I put my spin on it, you have a hand in it. Look at the final thing. You can't sin and God not know it. It doesn't matter whether you're saved or not. The secret sins that we deal with, the things that, that nobody knows about, and I'm not here to expose that today, and let's, that's not the point. The point is we can't forget as we go through that everything that we do, the Lord knows. And ultimately, that's a good thing. At the moment, that may be difficult to grasp because it gives us guilt and condemnation. We'll get into that in a few minutes. But that's what's important to know about sin. And so this woman was caught. So this truth, which is real, was twisted in the name of Jezebel. But the truth was also twisted in the name of jealousy. This is why jealousy is so dangerous. You know what's interesting about this one? Remember, we read the scripture. They only brought a woman. Say it again. 
Where's the guy? Here's the woman. Where's the guy? I mean, Deuteronomy chapter 22 made it very clear. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die. The man will live with the woman. <laughs> Amen. And the woman. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> so you shall put away the evil from Israel. <laughs> it's true, though. But where's the guy? Again, you know what some of the suggestions are? It was a setup. And you know what would be disgusting? In my opinion, I use that word a lot, disgusting. Is this crowd of people that gathered around the Pharisees and everything? Can you imagine if one of them was the guy that laid with her? That's not out of the realm of possibility. But see, they twisted even the scripture. They should have brought the guy. So this is a controversy. So Jesus, in his wisdom, he knows he's being set up. In fact, anybody able to understand the scriptures would understand, but he was caught. Jesus was, in a sense, caught. If he, if he's soft on the sin, then what kind of teacher is he going to be? Yet if he says stoner, then where's this wisdom and compassion he's been preaching? Understand this is a problem. This is a problem that we get caught in too. Because when we stand true to something in a world, remember I've taught you about truth? I don't have the example here today. <clears throat> but truth is supposed to be something solid, hard. That's what the Bible is, truth. Society has made the truth pliable. And you can twist it and conform it. That's the world's truth. God's truth, contained in the word of God, has to be solid because all truth comes from God. God is perfect. So therefore, that truth has to work. So Jesus is in a very interesting position. As you begin to get out of it, God bless. Well, let's see what happens next. Here's the counter. I want you to go back to your scripture and go to John 8, verse 6. I want you to keep your scripture open, okay, because we're going to refer back to this. It says, now Jesus stooped down. And wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said, He is without sin among you. Let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to last. Now there's two things I want to point out here. The first thing is this. There are times that no response is the best response. Now, that's hard to grasp, but let me point out something to you. In the teachings that I've heard, a lot of people focus on what did Jesus write down? What did Jesus begin writing on the ground? And there's theories, and, you know, Scripture isn't clear on what it is. I mean, you know, maybe he wrote, somebody, someone suggested he wrote all the sins that they've done. Maybe he wrote scripture. But I don't want to focus on what he wrote or didn't write. I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on what Jesus did initially. The scripture is very clear. Look at it again. Verse 6b. 
But he stooped down and wrote on the ground his finger. Look at it says, as though he didn't hear. He didn't get nervous. He didn't stutter. He didn't say, I, 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 oh, oh. He just went down. And he's acting as if they're not saying. They're saying to him, uh, Rabbi, what do we do about the woman? Rabbi, what do we do? The whole premise of their case, you ready for this? Is that he give an answer. That's why they're there. They're not there. They think you care less whether she lives or dies. The whole case falls apart to them with the crowd watching if he doesn't respond. We have to take that idea when we're confronted. Because there are times that the best response that we can give to the gospel of Jesus Christ when we're challenged, there are times, not all the time, there are times. There's no response. It's just to be quiet. It's just to wait. You know, I'm amazed by Jesus writing down. And I'm amazed that these guys are still getting so frustrated. There's times that no response is the best response. Now, I'm not talking about when someone asks you, how do I give my heart to Jesus Christ? And you just stand there and look at him. That means you don't know. I'm talking about when you're challenged about something. When someone wants to put go, go, and their intent is not to get an answer. Their intent is to get a rise from you. You know, we, 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 I taught my children one of the best ways to, to deal with a bully is let a bully think you're a, bro- a brick wall because all that bully's trying to do is to get something out of you. And if you don't respond, they're eventually going to get tired. Well, maybe they'll hit you, but eventually they're going to get tired. There are times that we're challenged that it's better just to walk away. Oh, that doesn't work in society today. But that's what works in God's world. In fact, if I remember correctly, this wasn't the only time that Jesus kept his mouth shut. Does anybody remember another time that Jesus would not respond to an answer? At his trial, remember? He didn't say a lot during that trial. He just said, it is as you say. That was it. And they, they accused him for everything. And I want you to remember something. You ready? This is, oh, thank the Lord for this. If Jesus, one suggestion, if Jesus had defended himself at that trial, he may have swayed the crowd. If he sways the crowd, he doesn't die. He doesn't die. There's no forgiveness for sin. See, there's times to keep your mouth shut is because you're actually doing the will of God. So don't be afraid to just say nothing because it means that God may be working in that situation. Now, the other thing that I want to point out to you here that I think is, is, is good to know is it is still the truth of God's word that convicts hearts. It's 
still the truth of God's word that convicts hearts. Jesus made a very telling statement, didn't he? After he ignored them, he finally looked up at them and said, he who's without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Okay. He made that statement. So what does that mean? I write on that statement, how many people in that little group could actually stone this lady? Actually, that's, no. It was still one. Jesus. And what happened was as this crowd of Pharisees came together, he said, he is without sin. You don't have any sin, pick up the stone and do it first. Well, they're not going to lie to the people because then they're going to exalt themselves in a place they don't want to be. And so the oldest who got it first, they start walking away, and I'm sure the younger guys are saying, hey, wait, 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 what are you, what, you're going to fall for this? What, are you kidding me? And then they start walking away. And then others start walking away until there's only one person left with the woman, the Bible tells us, and it's the only one who's without sin. The only one who had the right to stone her, according to Jesus' words. My friend, it is still the truth of God's word that convicts the heart. The Bible tells us what they heard is when they walked. The Bible says they were convicted by their own conscience. Jesus did not return an accusation. He gave them a standard. You see, walking in sin, living apart from God is never going to get you in the place that God desires you to be. You may go far. I'm not saying that. There are people today who are as far from God, they not believe in God, they are atheists, they call themselves agnostic, they call themselves a million things. And they're rich, and they have everything. And they've lived apart from God. And then there's that one person who's not rich and doesn't have everything and missed going out to the bar to get drunk with their friends. And they miss going out sleeping around. They missed all that years of, of young adult and teenagers. And they lived a very boring, bland life. And when that rich person takes their last breath, remember what the Bible says about all the riches that go up with them? No, because it doesn't. And that bland, boring person who didn't go with the crowd, who followed what the word of God said, you know what they have for eternity? Glory. Something that we can't even perceive. Something we can't understand. I remember the first time my daughter Elizabeth, uh, 2001, you were born 97, four years. I remember the first time we took her to Disney. And I remember her face. I went, you know, I wish I had iPhones back then. We had the cameras with the back. All that stuff was junk. But I remember, it's ingrained in me, her face when she saw that castle. 
because I don't think she even understood how that castle looked to her at that age. She had no idea. I could just, mommy. It wasn't daddy, of course. I paid for the trip, but it's mommy. Mommy, what a beautiful castle. She was just awed by it. No clue. I'm telling you, when we get to heaven, our mouths are just going to drop. We have no idea what the beauty that awaits us. Why? Because we decided to follow God's truth. So that's the counter. God's counter, Jesus' counter was, I'm not about to nail you to the wall. I'm about to convict you of your sin. And the only one left was the one who could rightfully stone him. Think of that. Final thing I want to share with you is this, the conclusion. Go back to verse 9 of John 8. And it says, And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And Jesus raised himself up, and saw no one but the woman. <laughs> he asked this great question. Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And he said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Grace and mercy win again. And grace and mercy went again because Jesus actually took the verse of the Old Testament idea and he actually put it the right way. Because you see, the formula that the law said that they grew up with was this. Don't sin at all and then I won't condemn you. That's what the Old Testament said. If, if you don't sin, then you're fine. But if you sin, you're condemned and you're dead. So Jesus purposely revealed the New Testament covenant to us now. We were not going to live under the idea that said, you sin and you're condemned. He said, I don't condemn you. Now don't go sin. Now, I, I like the idea that he said here, but it's interesting because he said, go and sin no more. The only problem is, in, in its phrase, Jamie, that's not possible. We talked last week about the idea of this sinless perfection that, that is just not biblical. We're sinners saved by grace. And unfortunately, we will have a battle every day between the flesh, this body, and the spirit of God. Every day. That's why there are no perfect Christians on the earth. So you're going to blow it. But see, Jesus set this out, and some of us didn't get the memo. Because there are some people that treat people like the Pharisees. You sin, you're done. 
I don't want nothing to do with you. I don't want to see you. I want you're finished. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you double. And Jesus is saying, you're not getting condemned anymore. You blew it. Let's remember something. This woman, according to the law, deserved to die. Don't take that out of the picture, please. She deserved to die. She committed adultery. The law said you commit adultery, you're dead. That's the truth of the matter. Whether you like it or not, that's the truth. That's what the scripture tells us. Jesus was saying, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And I believe Jesus was saying, get out of this life of prostitution you're in. Get out of this. Stop doing what you're doing. And can you imagine when Jesus first said, I don't condemn you, the relief on this woman? First of all, I don't think she had a, a biblical or spiritual revelation. I think she was so happy that Jesus did not pick up a stone. I'm going to be honest with you. I think she was just relieved that Jesus wasn't about to her himself. He said, I don't condemn you. In fact, my Hollywood, I idea would have been so cool if Jesus picked up the stone and that said, neither do I condemn you and threw it away. That would have been a Spielberg moment, you know. But he said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin. My friends, Jesus has said that to us, every single one of us, whether we know God or not. He said, I don't condemn you. You go and do not sin. Again, that's the way. See, see, the reason I say we messed that up, if I can get controversial for just a moment, is because when it comes to hot topic social items in this world, be it homosexuality or abortion or um, sex before marriage, some Christians get a little bit nervous concerned that if they agree with something or, or have compassion and mercy, they're saying, well, because I have compassion and mercy, that means I condone it. Jesus is giving us the example of, of how to deal with these issues. Don't condemn the person. But our intent of the heart should be, no, if it's against the Bible, it's against the Bible. But I'm not picking up the stone and throwing it at you. Because there's forgiveness there's grace and there's mercy. Grace and mercy always lead to the cross of Jesus Christ. If you want someone to get saved, you want, then, then they have to be led to the cross of Jesus through grace and mercy that we show. Very few have been led to the cross of Jesus by condemnation and guilt. And even if they did get there, it's something that never, once the fear wore off, they went back to where they were. It was never a life change. So I'm telling you, grace and mercy always win. But that means that you may get condemned by another Christian. And you got to take care of that. And be careful. Because Jesus came unto his own, and his own didn't even receive him. What makes you think 
that that's not going to happen to us. It is. Grace and mercy always win. Be strong in your beliefs and hold on to the truth. Whenever I have a discussion with someone, one of the statements I make is, listen, this is what the word of God says. Your argument is really with God, not with me. I'm just telling you what the word of God says. Deal it out with God. So I don't care if it's the worst sin in the world, what we consider a small sin, which I won't even go into today. Sin is sin. Missing the mark is missing the mark. All right, so if we're going to center around on two or three sins, we better center around all of them. Instead of picking two or three out and saying, that's it. Be careful with that. Final thing I want to share with you is that same grace and mercy extends to all who believe. Go and sin no more. Not only is it to that woman. See, the reality that Jesus was also doing, that sin had to be paid for. See, someone was going to have to pay for that sin. Because that woman committed that sin, and according to the law at that moment, whether she got stoned or not, guess what? She broke the law. When you break the law, during that time, especially with the Jewish belief, you did not go to see God. All right, maybe she lived, but according to what the law said, she still sinned. It still broke anything with God. She was going to be separated from God forever. Someone had to pay for that sin. Why do you think Jesus said, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more? Why do you think Jesus said, don't pick up the stone to save her life? No, because he was going to pay for that sin. He spiritually was going to get stoned. He was going to die and be separated from God. And that's what's happened to every single one of us. Whether we believe it or not, whether we think it's real or not, the good news is this. Your God does not want to see you down, out, and crippled like this. Your God wants to see you alive and living and enjoying life. You see the wires coming out of the side? The electrician that Pastor Jamie is using a guy named Bruce. And I would say probably about five, maybe eight years ago. You, you know Bruce, of course, right? Eight years ago, the first time I met Bruce. You remember Bruce? Yeah, you, were, you know him, don't you? Bruce was in King Challenge. He had everything. And lost it. His family was crumbling apart. Drinking. All those things were out of control in his life. And I remember Bruce being here. Being on this platform. You couldn't miss Bruce because he was like 10 foot tall. And he talked and he gave, he was about to be coming out of the program just like two weeks later. He was here. And he came to the front and he gave his testimony of how God had taken that away, how the guys in the program helped 
and he said this. You know, the one thing I always wanted to do was to take my children to Disney World, but I couldn't because I blew all my money on myself. He goes, I'm going to be graduating in a few weeks. And you know the first thing I'm going to do? I'm taking my kids to Disney World. God restored what sin had taken away. And now Bruce is serving the Lord perfect. If he was standing right here, he'd tell you. <laughs> no. Serving the Lord, helping, he helps us, helping church is beautiful, man. And the point I'm making to you as I get ready to wrap this whole thing up is this. That same grace and mercy is extended to you today. But that grace and mercy will be covered like a blanket on a bed if there's unforgiveness and bitterness. One of the greatest things we fight is if I forgive, that means I have to let somebody back in. If I have to let somebody back in, that means I can get hurt all over again. And we continue with the excuse train. Now, I'm not saying legit, but I'm saying as Christians, we have a much better way of looking at it. I'm going to forgive because once I forgive, you are going to shout God drops, showers of grace and mercy, which means I'll be able to get through the next day and the day after that and the day after that. Why? Because it's continually raining grace and mercy. In this winter season, I am so happy to hear that the forecast is rain. I know Linda is too. Because when we hear white instead of wet, Linda and I know that costs a lot of money for this church. But when it rains and it covers and it helps and it grows, my friends, listen, that same grace and mercy that went to God the Father through Jesus Christ, is available to us today. But if we let unforgiveness just cover us, no, you're not getting any. Or if you do, a little bit. And I'll tell you what, living in grace and mercy helps you think better. I mean, I'm, I'm being, I've done a line. I'm being honest. It helps your clarity of thought. When you're not angry all the time, when you're not bitter all the time, when you're not stressed out all the time, do you know what that freedom feels like? Does anybody know what that freedom in this room? Yeah, a couple of you know. So live in great mercy. Don't condemn. Pray. Don't condemn. Worship. Don't condemn. Read. The conclusion of the matter is that God gives us grace and mercy, and mercy wins again. It will always win. This story is how I wrap up. Lauren Isley, Ro, you can come on up. Thank you, Dean, if you're here. 
writes how one day while walking along a beach, he came across a thousands of starfish stranded upon the shore. A boy was picking them up one by one and tossing them back into the ocean. After watching the boy for a few minutes, Isley asked, What's her, what are you doing? And the boy replied, well, he was returning a starfish to their home so they wouldn't die. Isley said, how are saving a few going to make any difference? Because there were thousands on the sand that were doomed. And the boy picked up the starfish, and as he threw it back, he said, he answered, it's going to make a lot of difference to this one, and to this one, and to this one. It makes a lot of difference when grace and mercy rule in your life. I don't think there's any other way. I, 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 I don't know what teaching you've come from if you're visiting with us. So I can only go to the Word of God. And the Word of God tells me that He loved this world so very much that He gave His one and only Son, that if you believe in Him, you will not perish and you'll have everlasting life. The Scripture also tells me if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, He's the Messiah. He's the one I should follow. And you believe in your heart that that cross is real, that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I don't care how many years you've been to your church or this church. I don't care how many times you've watched your favorite preacher on TV. I don't care how many times you've, you've prayed, God is great, God is good, and we thank you for our food. Amen. I don't care how many times. He's asking you today, don't walk out in the cold without the jacket. Wear the righteousness of Jesus. Commit your life to Jesus and watch grace and mercy rain down. One thing I'll say, if you think you're going to commit your life to Jesus and all of a sudden all you're going to do is this, I love you, you're crazy. Not going to happen. But you know what? When you commit your life to Jesus, you're going to go to bed. And instead of saying, I'm going to regret tomorrow, you're going to go to bed and you're going to say, God, you've promised grace and mercy. Help me tomorrow to get through the day. And he's going to be there for you. Bow your heads if you would. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, this story must have been so difficult for this precious woman. And Lord, I pray that she did. Turn her heart away from you. Father, I pray that her heart was solid in Jesus Christ. But today, we look at our heart. We say, Jesus, I may not be as bad, but I know that I've sinned. And today, Jesus, I want to commit my life to you. I want grace and mercy to just rain down on me. The only way that's going to happen, Lord, is when I commit my life to you. And my friends, with our heads bowed and our eyes are closed, I want you to think for a second because there may be some of you in this room that never did that. But boy, you're saying, boy, that scripture makes sense. 
You don't have to impress anybody. All you need to do is acknowledge and say, Jesus, I want to give you this. I want you in my life. I want what the pastor's talking about. It's not something you have to sign. It's not something you have to join. It's a heart-to-heart. And it is, all it is is a prayer. And I have people here that would want to quietly, right where you are, pray with you. Nothing big, no nuts. It's quiet. But I can't read your mind. So right where you are in your seat, if there's somebody you want to just pray with you, say, Jesus, I want you to come to my life. Would you lift your hand so I can see you? And then just put it down. Anybody here? Hallelujah.